0: it's kate brownfield from adhdkidscanthrive.com thank you for listening i appreciate your support if you're enjoying this podcast please like comment and share as it'll help others find the adhd kids can thrive podcast my guest today is dr elisa song holistic pediatrician integrating conventional pediatrics with functional medicine holistic nutrition homeopathy acupuncture, herbal medicine, and essential oils. Please enjoy our conversation. Hi, Dr. Song. Thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Oh, I'm super excited. It's been way too long, so I'm really glad to be on with you today. Yes, I have personal experience with Dr. Song. She's taught me everything that I know. (laughs) I'm grateful for her spending her time to share wisdom with other people today. Oh, thank you. Okay, so we're gonna primarily focus on the kiddos who um, are neurodiverse and have um, ADHD included in their health profile, if you will, um, for this particular conversation. So let's just start from the beginning and can you help us understand, like, do a lot of kids with ADHD also struggle with other health issues?
1: Yeah, so we know that there are a lot of what are called comorbidities. So that just means there are multiple health concerns going on. And so, from a you know neurodevelopmental, neuropsychiatric standpoint, um, you know the numbers. So the CDC came out with numbers from 2016 to 2019. Those are sort of the most recent numbers we have on how many kids actually have ADHD. Um, so we know now that about about one in 10 kids has ADHD. But then when you break that down into age group, it, we, when you get to the teen years, one in eight has been diagnosed. In the elementary years, like six to 11 years, one in, that's one in 10. But even three to five-year-olds. Now, when I was in training, you know, I was told that you can't diagnose ADHD in a three to five-year-old, right? So, but But according to the CDC, In among three to five year olds, one in 20 has ADHD. One in 20. One in 20.
0: (laughs) But then it's one in eight by the time they're teenagers.
1: One in eight by the time they're like 12 to 17 years. So, um, so does that mean they
0: didn't have ADHD?
1: Well, it's probably um, not as recognized. You know, and, and the thing too, is a lot of the ADHD has so many presentations. I mean, there's not a typical, I mean, there's so many different ways you, there may be more um, impulsivity. There may be more inattentiveness, which is harder to catch, you know, especially, um, you know, that, that picture drives more of the, the um, uh, ADHD in girls. And then there's more the focus and the concentration concerns. And so many kids with ADHD, they're, they're really bright. And so they can get by, Right. Right? Quote, get by. They do just fine in kinder, um, you know, elementary, even middle school when when the demands uh, and the executive functioning skills required aren't as great. And then all of a sudden, boom, in high school, they can't just get by, you know, on on how bright they are. It's it's really this whole picture. So and then, you know, we know that in terms of other, um, you know, mental health comorbidities, The numbers show that one in two kids with ADHD have also been diagnosed with some sort of of a behavior or conduct disorder. Um, About a third also has comorbid anxiety. And then also commonly um, seen are, you know, kids with ADHD who also have depression or may also be on the autism spectrum disorder in addition to being, you know, having ADHD Um, and also Tourette syndrome, you know, which may be uncovered when, when something like Ritalin is started. Now that's the psychiatric comorbidities, but then we also know there are other health, physical health comorbidities, and I don't want to separate out the physical and the mental health because they're all intertwined, but we know that atopy this this classic sort of allergic march of you know uh eczema then asthma then hay fever even you know food allergies all of that allergic at- atopic march is much more commonly seen also in kids with ADHD and i couldn't find any any concrete numbers but i mean as you know kate i mean those tend to go hand in hand for a lot of kids. And so again, I mean, it really stems from, we cannot separate out what's going on in in the the brain, the mind sphere with what's going on in the physical and immune sphere. It's all interconnected.
0: Right, right. Okay. So what, so parents, I think are probably going to be enlightened, right? That what's Mm -hmm. going on with their child physically is also connected to what's going on to them mentally, right? Yep. Right. So what can parents do um, as they start to connect the dots that all these things aren't just necessarily happening in a silo with their child?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what the, when we take a step back, it's really, really important for parents who are dealing with neurodiverse kids to understand the gut brain and the gut immune system connections. I mean, they're so intertwined and it really, you know, Hippocrates centuries ago um, is credited with saying all disease starts in the gut. And we also want to kind of flip that and say, you know, all health starts in the gut. And that's especially true for children and their developing brains and they're developing immune systems. So when we understand that connection, we can see also why it's so much more common for kids who are neurodiverse to also have these immune system issues, whether it's getting sick frequently or needing lots and lots of you know antibiotics for ear infections or having eczema and asthma. So you know, we, we know that when babies are born, they are more or less born with a quote, sterile gut, meaning their gut microbiome is not yet developed. And so there are 70 to a hundred trillion microorganisms that live in our gut and the foundations start from birth. And as those foundations get set, depending on how our babies were born, whether vaginally birthed or C-section birthed, if they were given antibiotics, you know, in the early, early stages, um, how they were fed, whether they were breastfed or formula-fed, and all the different things that they may be exposed to in their homes, um, pets, siblings—all of that lays a foundation for what their gut microbiome looks like. Now, the microbiome is that combination of all of those different organisms and and the interplay with um, with you know our genes and our immune system and our brain. So when we look at baby's gut microbiomes, we know that any disruption to a baby's gut microbiome, let's say antibiotics, right? Antibiotics really are the biggest disruptor to the gut microbiome. So for parents who may not um, be aware of that, when we think about antibiotics, we give them to kill bacteria, right? We want to kill the bad bugs, but antibiotics really don't care whether they kill the good bugs or the bad bugs. (laughs) And so while we're trying to kill, let's say the bad bugs that are maybe in your child's sinuses for a sinus infection, antibiotics can also kill a lot of the good bacteria, those probiotics in your child's developing gut microbiome. And we know that antibiotics and in the same token, antacid medications, which also disrupt the gut microbiome, when they're given to babies, they can increase the risk of mental health concerns by the time they're older by up to 50%. Wow. Yeah, right. And we also know the antibiotics and antacid medications given, especially in that first six months of life, can nearly double your risk of, um, allergic diseases, eczema, asthma, allergies, anaphylactic food allergies, by the time those kids are four, it's because of how the gut microbiome really informs how the brain develops in your babies and how your immune system develops in your kids. Now, if you're thinking, well, oh my gosh, my baby did get antibiotics when they were two months old, or they got antacid medications because they had really bad reflux or colic. Um, it's not too late to undo that. It's just now, no matter how old your kid is, whether they're, you know, in elementary school or preschool, or having attention and behavioral concerns, or whether they're a teenager who is being worked up for ADHD or diagnosed, we now have to just step back and say, you know what? One of the stones that may have been, you know, not turned over yet is their gut health. You know, how do we look at their gut microbiome? And if ADHD quote runs in the family, which we know there's a genetic component to it, genes are not set in stone. Um, There's a fascinating study that looked at giving probiotics, a specific probiotic um, called lactobacillus rhamnosus GG it's the most widely studied uh, probiotic um to did i say probiotic or giving this probiotic probiotic yeah yeah probiotic to babies for the first 6 months of life and they took the placebo group and the group that got the probiotics the group that got the probiotics had zero kids with adhd or asperger's diagnosed the group that got the placebo about 20% ended up having a diagnosis and what they found was you know when these children were um, infants. Their gut microbiomes looked different depending on whether they got the probiotic or not. By the time they were 13, they were followed up to the time they were 13 years of age, there wasn't really a significant difference in their gut microbiome. So they speculated that it was really the probiotic supplementation and microbiome um, support early in life affected how the brain was developing in those early stages and then could set the stage later for having you know, neurodiverse symptoms or not. So it's really important to understand the gut-brain connection.
0: Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's my question. You know how they say mental health is on the rise mm-hmm. and whether it's looking like anxiety, depression, ADHD, autism, is that because there's also a rise in how we overuse antibiotics in our healthcare system?
1: I think that's a huge, huge factor. Another study, you know, in, in Finland, they have these huge databases where they, you know, it's, it's a, um, um, a well-studied population. And what they found when they followed these Finnish mother-infant pairs, um, a single round of antibiotics, this is where that study came from, a single round of antibiotics significantly increased that child's risk of mental health concerns by the time they were older kids or teenagers. This was even if mothers received antibiotics while they were pregnant with that child, That still counted. And the more the rounds of antibiotics, the higher the risk of developing mental health concerns. I think that is a huge part of it. And then we also have to step back and think, what else is disrupting our kids' gut microbiomes? I mean, what is happening? And this was long, I mean, the pandemic had shined this really glaring light on our mental health emergency in kids, Um, you know, especially our teenage girls, our teenagers increased in suicidality, um, attempts and completions. But that was even before the pandemic, a crisis, Right. right? I mean, Suicide has has been for a very long time the second leading cause of death in our youth, our teenagers, and our, our young twenties. You know, uh, young adults, um, only second to um, accidental injury, which kind of goes hand in hand with that risk taking behavior, right? Right.
0: Um,
1: and you know, before the pandemic, the numbers from two thousand nineteen, when I gave this talk, I mean, kids were twenty; these teenagers twenty seven times more likely to die from. By suicide than they were from influenza infection, and yet what happens every winter? What is our big public health campaign? It's on. We gotta, you know, get influenza it's and, not and under control. Them, but, yeah, yeah. And so, so anyhow, you know, this is there are other things too though for our youth and for our teenagers that disrupt their microbiomes and can set the stage for worsening mental health. Conditions um, and they're very common. So I already mentioned antacid medications, um, but there are also other medications that are so commonly given to our children. Steroids, whether they're inhaled or topical or oral steroids, um, are used much more commonly than when I was in training. You know, this is now twenty over twenty plus years ago. Um, and, um, for teenage girls, the birth control pill disrupts the gut microbiome, um, SSRI medications, right? Your, your Prozac, your Lexapro, your antidepressants, those disrupt the gut microbiome. Ibuprofen right? When our kids have a fever, we reach for the Tylenol or the, or the Advil. Well, ibuprofen in some studies were found to disrupt the gut microbiome as much as antibiotics. So I'm not saying if your kids are on these medications, pull them off right away. What I'm saying is now just understand if your kids need, first of all, have an understanding and discussion with your, your physician. Are these really necessary? Are there other options, you know, besides let's say the antibiotics or maybe the ibuprofen when your kids have a fever, what would happen if I waited to give these? And if these are necessary, how do I make sure that we um, mitigate, that we prevent the adverse effects to their gut microbiome, which can then trade off? know, short-term relief from this infection or this fever or this, whatever, um, for longer term future health problems that are more chronic and more insidious. It's
0: a lot to think. about. It's
1: a <laughs> lot. To, it's a lot to think about, but if we step back and just, just know, focus on the gut one step at a time, whatever way you can, it's that awareness and it can, um, You know, when you first learn about it, and I remember when I first started training in in functional medicine and integrative peas, it's like, you know, you're you're kind of (laughs) drinking from a fire hose. You're like, oh my gosh, why didn't I know this? you know, how, how could I not have been, you know, trained this in medical school or in residency? And why don't more practitioners know? Why don't more parents know? And you start, you know, going down this, you know, field can feel like a a rabbit hole. And then, then you just step back. And it's really important, I think, to, you know, have a guide or, you know, have a podcast like yours where you can just say, look, here's this information. We're going to sit with it not let it overwhelm us and then just see which piece of the puzzle can, can I approach right now? Right. It's just how we talk with our kids with ADHD, right? You chunk it down,
0: (laughs) take take one chunk, you
1: know, at a time, don't look at the huge picture. You know, look at this one chunk that you can do and take the chunk. That's the easiest because there's so many ways that we can improve and support your child's gut microbiome. And it does not have to be all at once. So if your diet, if your kid's diet is feeling impossible to change, all right, well then maybe work on the sleep or work on the exercise or work on, you know, maybe some mindfulness because all of that helps support your gut microbiome. It's not, it's not one or the other, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So if your child is doing, you know, in this cycle, especially with um, flu season and COVID mm. season coming up, Right and you get in these cycles of taking antibiotics, I mean, can you just tell us a little bit? I mean, I recommend everybody go follow you, right? Because you do yeah. talk about this a lot, but like, you know, what are some steps a parent could consider so their child can in fact get out of this antibiotic cycle? Yeah,
1: so, and it is true. I mean, for a lot of parents who maybe their kids have ear infections, recurrent ear infections or sinus infections or, you know, whatever, bronchitis. Um, and they're given antibiotic after antibiotic, after antibiotic, um, one thing to just recognize as a parent and, um, you know, even as physicians, right. You know, sometimes we, we, for, for the, um, most part, when your kids are sick, unless you have a documented you know strep throat that's been tested and cultured right or you have a documented you know a PCR test for different respiratory viruses it's virtually, you cannot tell just by looking at a child or the, or taking the clinical history, does your child have a viral infection or a bacterial infection? That's the first thing to know. And the vast majority of infections that children will encounter are actually viral. And antibiotics do nothing for viruses. And in fact, one study found that, you know, the, of the millions of you know, antibiotic prescriptions that are, are given to children, some studies find that up to 70% may be inappropriately prescribed for viral infections. So, you know, we we wanna acknowledge that and then know all right, when your kids are sick or or you go into the doctors and, and the doctor's like, I don't know if it's viral or bacterial. We just want to do something, right? I right. mean, we all just want to do something. We just want our kids to feel better. And we think, oh my gosh, I just want it. I just want this antibiotic to work. And I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not guilty of this. When my, you know, when Kenzie, I remember when she was little and she had a really bad case of hand, foot and mouth, which is going around right now, causes intensely painful sore throat. And I kept checking her for strep throat because I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't really do anything for a viral infection, like can't foot a mouth, but I can treat strep with an antibiotic, but it it wasn't strep. so yeah. I couldn't treat her. Yeah. And there's also when you look at, so for me as an integrated pediatrician, I now have learned how to use. Homeopathy and and teach parents acupressure points and use herbs and essential oils that can help kids get better faster from their viral infections, even without needing. Um, you know, even when you know there's a con- in conventional medicine, it's quote supportive care. It's like, oh, we'll give them Tylenol if they have a fever. You maybe Sudafed if they're a little congested, or try Benadryl, even though the studies show it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, for for congestion. Yeah folds, right? And so there are a lot of things we can do. So that's one thing is just recognizing because knowledge really is power, right? When you recognize, all right, this chances are this is viral, even in ear infections, right? The vast majority of ear infections actually probably are mixed bacteria and virus. And the vast majority of ear infections, even bacterial ones are going to resolve on their own. Right. And so just recognizing that. And then the next time, if your kids do have an ear infection or a bronchitis or sinus infections, I would encourage you, um, you know, I have lots of resources on, on my website, just, you know, knowing that there are some really, you know, evidence-based approaches to, um, managing your child's illness and helping them recover without necessarily needing to take antibiotics. Now, if your kids do take antibiotics, then the key is to restore their gut microbiome because then that supporting their gut immune system connection is going to help prevent them from getting sicker, you know, right away, right? More quickly right away with a recurrent episode and, and hopefully reduce or chance of then you know moving forward into a bacterial infection so when kids are taking antibiotics i always recommend taking a probiotic supplement alongside their antibiotic course so i mean the most common antibiotic given is prescribed is amoxicillin which is usually a twice a day dose so then you just want to take a probiotic that is um what's called a quote, broader spectrum. So, you know, as as many different strains as you can find of probiotics with the trillions of probiotics in your gut, it doesn't make sense to just pick one or two strains. You want to try to get in as many good ones as possible um, and take them at least an hour or two away from the antibiotic dose. Because remember, the antibiotics are also going to potentially kill the probiotics. Right. Um, and then we also want to make sure that we're we're giving you know, when I um, when I think about probiotics, and a lot of a lot of parents that are giving their kids probiotics, um, you don't want to. You don't want to just throw probiotics into your child's gut without supporting their growth. I mean, it's just like you know, many people through the pandemic started gardening, right? You wouldn't just throw tomato seeds onto the ground and then walk away and think, "Oh, I'm going to come back in a couple of weeks, and this beautiful tomato plant is going to grow." You need to nurture the soil with the right nutrients, the right you know, organic fertilizers, the sunshine, the water, all of that. Maybe talk to your plants a little bit, right? <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but. Um, Um, you know, it's, so when you're, when you're putting in those probiotics, you need to support their growth with prebiotics. So you can buy prebiotic supplements, but that's getting, you know, fiber in your kid's diet, you know, lots of different fruits and vegetables that each have a different prebiotic benefit and a different, you know, phytonutrient benefit to help support the growth of your, of the probiotics. And then the fascinating thing too, is we know that Um, exercise and sleep and, you know, mindfulness, you know, doing some meditation or walking out in nature, those can support the growth and diversity of a healthy gut microbiome, independent of diet, right? So, uh, that's oh, based,
0: independent of what you eat, independent of what
1: you eat. So even if you're like, Oh my gosh, I, I don't know that I can get my kids off of these talkies right now, which please <laughs> got to get them off the talkies, Right. Yeah. Um, But even if that seems like a monumental task, if you can just move the needle on something else, like moving their body, you know, just 10 minutes a day, vigorous exercise, or getting, you know, a half hour more sleep or listening to an app together to help focus on, you know, belly breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, that is gonna support the growth of healthy probiotics in your child's gut um, and support diversity in your child's gut, regardless of what they're eating. So and I'm not saying do these things and forget about your kids' diet, but again, we we pick the lowest hanging fruit. And so
0: Parents of ADHD kids will DM me and ask like, what kind of supplements should I give my kid? They're the hyperactive ADHD kid, or they're trying to use supplements instead of mm-hmm. um, other means as a way to help their kid be focused in school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So
0: that's the question. Like what supplements really help a kid who has ADHD?
1: So is that, and, and is that, I'm curious, is that the question you get asked most the most frequently?
0: I always get asked what kind of supplements mm. and I don't even really talk about supplements yeah, yeah. on my social media, but people ask, cause I think they're just looking for information because yes. I like you have an ADHD kid. So maybe, you know, something about this, right? Yeah. Like yeah. what supplements should I be giving my kid? And it's most likely to help them have better behavior at school, yeah. right. And at home yeah. and, um, brands. It's always like, what brands should I look at?
1: Mm. So, okay. So the first thing, let's step back. I think supplements have, have definitely have a place, um, uh, in supporting kids with ADHD, ADHD. And there are also some, um, good studies out there on different supplements that can be very helpful in supporting ADHD symptoms. And so, um, the one thing that I just really want to, um, tell parents and just let them be aware and also kids to let them be aware that you can't totally out supplement a poor diet and lifestyle. There's just no way you're chasing your tail. And so we work we can add the supplements as a bridge, right? And they can be very helpful, but it's going to be an uphill battle if we also don't work on all of the things that support your child's gut microbiome. Okay. So the number one thing, honestly, before I even start with supplements is just doing a little diet inventory. And, um, it can be easier to think about sometimes making swaps out than adding in I mean, if your kid doesn't have the greatest diversity right now and isn't eating like five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day and, you know, two servings of fatty fish a week, then that's okay. But just look at what packaged foods they're eating because it's really the, 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 the rise in the ultra processed foods, um, with, you know, FDA approved additives and colors and preservatives that, um, in the past decades, you know, 40, 50 years with this, with the. Huge rise in the consumption of ultra-processed foods. We've seen more brain problems, not just kids with neurodiversity, but even Alzheimer's can be linked with you know the consumption of ultra-processed fruit foods. And we also, from from the literature, can see that many of these food additives have a direct and negative impact on your child's gut microbiome. So, and you know, many many of your listeners already probably know this, but it is true. If you get rid of the artificial food dyes, I mean, just that alone, right? I mentioned Takis before with the artificial red and so many, I mean, it says artificial all over the ingredient label. If you just got rid of that, some studies show that one in three kids with attention, behavior, focus concerns will improve. This is even if they're not necessarily diagnosed with ADHD, but if you have a, you know, an elementary school kid and you're wondering, should we pursue an evaluation? Just doing that alone is going to make a huge difference. I mean, I had one kiddo who, I mean, it just stands out to me. I I, I will never forget I mean he was had some behavioral concerns attention focus concerns he wasn't diagnosed with anything just yet but you know he's one of those kids that you think okay we're heading for some sort of a diagnosis um and he was in kinder and the mom noted that he just also had a lot of sensory issues. He just couldn't stand to be touched in certain ways. And this is like a lot of our kids with ADHD. They have some sensory concerns, whether it's touch or taste or smell or, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, it just was heartbreaking because he just couldn't stand to be hugged. And whenever... Um, she would kiss him goodnight. He always wiped away her kiss, which, I mean, as a mom, that is heartbreaking, right? Right, right. And so, one of the first things we did, and we did a bunch of, you know, we did some blood testing. We did some, well, not blood testing just yet, but we did stool testing and, you know, we did some urine testing as a start. But while we're waiting for those tests, I said, look, you know, one of the first things we should do, because he was addicted to color, right? Like the Skittles and the Takis, and like he just craved, that the color and the sugar in, in these packaged foods. And I said, it's not going to be easy, but we're going to make swaps. We're going to switch out the Takis for like Trader Joe's, you know, rolled corn tortilla chips, which are a better substitute. And, you know, with Skittles, we're going to find, you know, the non artificial dye um, options. And so they worked on it. And within a couple of weeks of eliminating those artificial colors and additives, I mean, the mom called me in, in tears and I was in tears because that was the first time that he hadn't wiped away her kiss.
0: Oh, you're kidding.
1: Right. Yeah. And he even asked for a hug. Like he wanted her to hug her. So, I mean, it it you can see things like that. Um, And so that there is the power. I mean, we've all heard food is medicine, but it really is. And food can also be. Um, really harmful, you know. Depending on on what we choose, and our kids with ADHD, their brains are already wired to have more of an addictive tendency, just needing more and more of that dopamine. Well, these these food additives, the food industry, the only reason these food additives were were ever conceived, you know, in the factories chemically, is to have, you know, they call it a mouth feel, right? You know, to to feel and taste in your mouth and smell in a way that lights up your dopamine centers, your reward centers to make them more and more addictive. And it's not, in, and there's, you know, added sugar is a food additive. Added salt is a food additive. And, you know, so parents will say, well, if I'm trying to cut down the sugars, what about, you know, sucralose or aspartame? Are these artificial sugars, these these zero sugar hydration drinks, are they any better well, you know, one study looked at rats who are very similar chemistry, you know, as humans and found that, you know, rats who were already addicted to cocaine preferred these artificial sweeteners over the cocaine. Wow. I mean, that okay. is alarming, right? And then you see all of these, you know, prime and whatever the, the thing is oh, that God, kids yes. love, right? They have sucralose in them and kids, and even, you know, everyone's fooled by the front of the label. Even, you know, my kids who th- I've taught them how to read labels, if you learn how to read labels and I'm, I teach this in, you know, um, on social media, it's a big part of of my book that's coming out next year is learning how to read food labels like a gut hero so that you can still go out with your friends, buy a bag of chips, you know, buy a, a bottled drink, but you know how to choose one that's not going to be poison to your brain or your gut microbiome, right? right. Because uh, kids don't want to look different. So I let right. Bodhi, I mean, Kenzie and Bodie, sure, they go out to Boba Tea with their friends, but we, but we look and see, well, what are the ingredients in there? And how do we want to kind of bubble, surround that Choice that maybe had like way more added sugar than you should have in two days, right? Right. With with stronger choices, right? Um. And so, anyhow, that's just you know to say if you haven't yet sort of working on your kids' side, just think of how you can move forward in that arena. And in the meantime, we can use supplements to first of all be the bridge and fill in nutrient gaps. We know that kids with ADHD tend to have be more likely to be deficient in vitamin D, zinc, magnesium, iron, omega-3s, right? Your fatty acids or fish oils. So even if we start with those, if you get a, a really good multi that has higher levels of D, zinc, magnesium, iron. Now, oftentimes when I'm working with kids, I will check blood levels to try to optimize those because it can be surprising how much kids need, Um, but just, you know, really high quality multi. In fact, there was a a study done on, I think the multi was called Empower Plus. It's quite expensive and you need to take a lot, but it did fill in the nutrient gaps for kids, but just focusing on those and your, your fish oils. Now that's just to get a solid nutritional foundation for your kids in, in terms of targeting specifically also the ADHD symptoms that are problematic, like the behavioral concerns or sometimes the aggression or some right. the impulsivity, right? right. Um, we, there are some, what are called psychobiotics. They are probiotics that are known to optimize, enhance dopamine and serotonin levels. Now, why is that? You know, we spoke about the gut brain connection, but the vast majority of your serotonin, something like 80 to 90% of our serotonin, which is our quote brain chemical or neurotransmitter that helps with anxiety, helps with calm, helps with sleep, 80 to 90% is made by our gut microbiome. At least 50% of all of our dopamine, which is our reward, stand task, motivation, right? At least 50% is made by our gut microbiome. So when we take these psychobiotics to help support the specific Um, probiotics that have been shown to improve dopamine and serotonin levels, I've seen some really, you know, good results with that. So now parents are going to want to know, well, which ones
0: (laughs) Uh, everyone's Googling right now. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: I don't have any, any, you know, stake in, in these supplement companies. Okay. But there is one that was studied out of China. It's called PS128. PS-128 found to really improve um, symptoms of autism, their um, ADHD, they're now looking at it for anxiety and also for Alzheimer's, right? Any neuropsychiatric condition and neurodevelopmental concern. So that is a probiotic. The brand name is called Neurali, N-E-U-R-A-L-L-I. And the, the studies were really done with twice a day or two capsules a day over a minimum of three months. So it's not an overnight fix, right? When you can't just magically snap your fingers and your microbiome looks better. Um, so it's, this is, you gotta stick with, you gotta stick with it, right? right. Um, and then the other two probiotics uh, strains, there's one called um, lactobacillus, it's the Roselle, R-O-S-E-L-L. So I'm going to spat out some really long names, but Lactobacillus Helveticus Roselle 52. And then another one is Bifidobacterium Longum Roselle 175. And I'll send you the, the print typing of those because there are a variety of different supplement companies out there that incorporate these strains. And that's the importance of you can't just take any probiotic you want to know which specific strain because now we're at, we've identified so far at least 8000 specific strains that potentially have different benefits on you know for your skin or for your um your lungs or for vaginal health or breast health or for brain health and so we really want those specific strains so it was the PS-128, this lactobacillus rosell-52, and bifidobacterium rosell-175. So if parents just look to see which probiotics have those specific strains, those are the ones that I would prioritize, okay, for, you know, in terms of supporting ADHD symptoms. Now, if your kids also have ADHD and eczema, for instance, then I would want to add some eczema-specific strains as well. Now, the other supplements that in the studies have been found to really be supportive, saffron, that yellow spice yeah. that is put nice. into, you know, lots of Indian curries. I mean, it's beautiful but um, some really good studies with kids with ADHD. There's one from last year. There's one, you know, some from, you know, a, a, a while back. Um, and the dosage dosages vary. The, the more, more recent study was 30 milligrams of active saffron, 30 milligrams um, given to kids with ADHD between seven and 17 years of age found to be really as effective as Ritalin in improving symptoms without the negative impact on, um, appetite or sleep, Intra- okay. right? All of the side effects that we worry about when we put our kids on Ritalin. Well, yeah, they're more calm in their seat, but they don't really feel like themselves. They're a little more flat or, oh my gosh, you're losing weight because they're, they're not eating. They have no appetite or I can't get them to sleep because they're, you know, they're still bouncing off the wall. Yeah, they're still wrapped up tonight. and mm-hmm. it can
0: increase anxiety.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So saffron not just is helpful for ADHD, but can help with anxiety. And, you know, for, for a lot of kids with ADHD, I do see a lot of comorbid anxiety and it's really hard to tease out, or are they having trouble focusing and paying attention and having these outbursts because they're anxious or because of their ADHD. And sometimes interestingly, it's actually the anxiety piece that's driving more of the behaviors then it may be the ADHD piece. And again, it's not as simple. We can't just separate it out. But um, another supplement that I find very helpful for kids with ADHD, especially kids who are in that fight or flight, revved up mode, um, you can tell they're really jumpy or maybe you know they have outbursts and they're really um, kind of emotionally like labile and fragile, right? I mean, they just are really um, um, very reactive. Um, there's a supplement called phosphatidylserine, which... It lowers your excess levels of cortisol, which is our stress hormone. This is really good for kids who, and for adults who, um, they get revved up at night you know, when you're tired at night and you're trying to go to bed and then all of a sudden your head hits a pillow and then you start thinking your list, you know, miles yeah. and miles of your to-do list or you or you can't stop thinking about the next day and all the things you have to do. Well, phosphatidylserine really helps with that. And so the dosages, and there was one study looking at um, um, kids with ADHD given up to 200 to 300 milligrams of phosphatidylserine each day And it actually really helped with their sleep in this particular study and can help with some of that emotional reactivity, you know, from what I, it's it's a great supplement.
0: Would Um, you recommend that for the evening if a kid is having a hard time going to sleep? Yeah. I might even do
1: like a hundred milligrams around dinner time to reduce that inappropriate adrenaline surge at nighttime. And then maybe even in the morning, if they get into that fight or flight, jumpy state for school. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so you can kind of, you know, I've had some parents who do, uh, you know, who give at breakfast and you know at lunch and at nighttime because you're just trying to calm the nervous system down. Um, there's another supplement called pine bark extract or pycnogenol. That's a really good antioxidant, um, and that one was shown. Um, dosages can vary anywhere from maybe 20 milligrams to 40 milligrams. Another study gave one milligram per kilogram of body weight. And after one month, found that there was a, a significant improvement in hyperactivity, attention, um, concentration, even like motor coordination, right? Um, but when they stopped, symptoms started to recur. So you had to keep it going, right? Um, so, this is where, uh, you know, like I said, uh, these supplements, I would view them more as a bridge while you're working on supporting that healthy gut microbiome so that eventually, hopefully, your child doesn't need the support of these supplements anymore, or doesn't slide back when you take a break from them and maybe can minimize, you know, how much medication they might need.
0: It's a lot. Thank you, Elisa. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> lots of options, right? Lots of options. <laughs> There's lots of options. That's great. Okay. So as we wrap up, what would be your words of wisdom for parents raising ADHD children in kind of in the line of work that you're focused on?
1: You know, I would say for parents, um, and and for their kids, one of the most important things to learn as a parent, as you're navigating um, sc- the school situation and social situations that can be really hard to watch, um, it's really important as a parent to learn how to incorporate um, calming tools, mind-body tools that really support a healthy gut microbiome for yourself so that you can also then support your child in doing the same thing, because our kids with ADHD, many of them are just living in perpetual fight or flight. And if, if their nervous systems are not able to get into that calm state, whether it's through supplements or, I mean, really more importantly, through things like breathing, you know, the belly breathing, um, there's something called box breathing, look up Navy SEALs use box breathing to calm in the moment when they're in the high adrenaline state. Um, so, you know, or using things like, um, apps like the calm app you know to really get into that more meditative oak like the oak tree is a great breathing app that a teenager actually a 12 year old boy told me about um so but as a parent if we can learn how to get into that calm state we are so you know interconnected with our kids and they can sense right away when we're in that that anxious fight or flight state and so when we're trying to help them get through an assignment you know with tears and you know lots of crying and screaming and we're all amped up we're not going to be able to support our kids to calm in that moment so i i think the best thing we can do as parents is to learn those calming tools ourselves treat that as much as medicine, as any supplement you're giving to your kids or any dietary change you're making. Um, because remember just supporting that gut brain connection with mindfulness and breathing is going to support your child's gut microbiome, regardless of what they're eating. So support yourself. And then your child will be able to learn those tools with you. Yeah. Great.
0: Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate
1: it. Oh yeah, this is this is my honor. I love chatting with you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you.